Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. You, you also, yeah. you, 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 uh, you worked with Junie Morrison? Junie, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did a number Tell of us a little bit about him. Well, Junie was extremely talented. He was a, like, a lot like a Prince type person. He, he really was really good. Um, he was funny and he was, he's quirky. Unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, these guys, they, they're just super talented. He was super talented. And he... I mean, I, unfortunately, he never had that big, big hit. His greatest, his greatest success was with uh, George Clinton, Funkadelic. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I don't know what happened. I never, I never really talked to him about it. Uh, but he, he was a funny guy. <laughs> he was very funny. He was, he was, he was always cracking jokes and having fun, but, um, and you know, he, he was, you know, a funky worm, you know, that kind of stuff. He was, he was like, you know, that was, a, was kind of like him. Um, so, I don't know. He didn't have a big hit. Sometimes it talking, happens. Wes Boatman seemed very fond of, of Jenny. Oh yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. I am too. Junie was a great guy. Wes has probably a lot more to say because I think he he did a lot more work with Junie. I mean, everything I did was, you know, just studio. It was like three albums. But um, yeah, he used to record. We uh, his his favorite mic was a, a KM eighty six Neumann that we had at the studio, and I would put him really close on it with a windscreen. <laughs> Because he's soft spoken, yeah. Love will keep us or whatever it was. I can't remember the lyrics, but I remember the one, sort of the line uh, that went on. And um, yeah, he kind of like he he was somebody who sang loud. You know, it was like I hear Karen Carpenter was like a soft singer, and he had that same kind of thing. So and he was a great singer. He was really good. He's a really good singer, but he played everything. I mean, he's not one of these guys. He's just, they do it all. They do. Yeah. It. And the arrangements, too. Yeah, I know. It's nuts. I mean, he really would. He would, he would do some, he would, but he would, 
kind of arrange it and they go, no, 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 no. And okay, try this. Oh yeah, that's it. You know, and he would, he would, he would know what he was doing. And 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 after he tried it again, yeah, okay. And I could see in his head, he must have been like having this thing go in his head that was like, okay, well, I need to sit it in. And 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 so he would. Yeah. Um, and um, you worked with Fazo? Fazo. Fazo. Yes, Fazo. Man, that's wild. That's wild. I don't remember much of it. Sorry. Um, well, they were that Ohio Players spinoff group, and they had the big hit Riding High. Mm -hmm. um, but I saw in your credits, uh, you're, you're down for Breaking the Funk, a 79 album they did. Oh yeah, breaking the funk. Yeah, I totally remember that song. Yeah, breaking, breaking the funk. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry that I forgot about that. I'll jog your memory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the recording very much. So sorry. What about uh, Dayton? You remember Dayton, those guys? Dayton. Yeah. Dayton. Dayton was like. They were like the band everybody hoped would get there have a big hit we really did we really liked everybody sean and the, and the gang and gosh you know i think um i go back to my original little studio i was at which is that appalachia sound studio and um yeah i remember uh, recording them and then uh, some of, uh, some sort of iteration of them. And then they they kind of got together, they gelled, uh, and they didn't know what to call themselves, so they called themselves Dayton. And they, uh, you know, everybody was really involved. Everybody at the studio was really involved trying to get, trying to get them right there. And uh, it, it was good. It, 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 it didn't go as far as I had hoped. I guess. Yeah, they, they didn't have that, extra spark like you get with the ohio players or some yeah. other groups yeah 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 i'm not sure yeah uh and with, sean was also a son right was he part of son sean was Did you say sean of... oh Did... son the group yeah <laughs> such an idiot wait a minute you got a son named sean no uh <laughs> sorry dude <laughs> yeah son man yeah those guys they're cool yeah, I love these bands, man. They got the horn bands, baby. I love that. Oh, yeah. That was, that was my thing. I love the horn thing. Byron so, Bird with Sun. Yeah. That's right. Bird, I, he was a nice guy. He was quite, you know, that guy was a little bit like bigger than life, didn't you think? I don't He's know. He's sort I, of a genius of some kind, right? He's like really into science. And yeah, I mean, the guys, you know, seemed really intelligent and uh, bigger. They had a, he had a big personality. That's what I thought. It's like, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, they were they were good. They were great. And you mentioned Slave. So, mm -hmm. do you recall actually uh, working with them because they've gotten you know kind of legendary status at this point, especially their bass player Mark Adams. Right. Um, do you remember anything you could share related to Slave? Well, first of all, I didn't cut their tracks. I mixed their tracks, and I mixed their tracks with their uh, producer Jimmy Douglas. It was a hot summer. It was a very, very hot summer. Jimmy fell asleep in his car one morning. 
waiting to go to the studio and didn't wake up till about five in the afternoon. And uh, he showed up one day he, and, and he came up the stairs and I've been there for three or four or five hours because this is kind of like, oh, thanks. You know, I was, I mixed to a point and I kind of needed him to kind of give a go ahead. That's how it kind of works, you know, when you're mixing, you, you, they give you the free reign, they put it together, whatever. You put it together and then, they, you know, okay, where do you want to go from here? And then you start changing things and it, it molds into whatever that's going to be. So I was waiting for him and uh, poor guy, he, he was so tired, I guess he fell asleep in his car and uh, man, he, was, he looked so bad when he came upstairs and uh, and then he wanted to keep working. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, whatever, I guess we uh, and So, but it was, uh, uh, yeah, so I was with him. He was, he was fun. And uh, he's of course sort of a, a legendary producer. Yeah. He's done a lot of great stuff. Did did they have you mix the bass up, especially high for Slave? You know, I, I as far as specifics on these things, I'm really not going to be that great. Uh, it's been a long time, and to remember how you know I might put something is it's probably you know what I don't know because I can't remember that kind of detail. However, <laughs> I don't have any problem doing that. <laughs> I kind of enjoy the bass up anyway. Well, just so viewers know, um, I have you associated with uh, their records, Bad Enough, Visions of yeah. the Light. Um, and, yeah, right, Visions of the Light. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, and also Platypus was another. Platypus, sort of, man. Kind, yeah. of, kind, of like, kind of like Dayton in a way, kind of the same level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're on Casablanca. I remember them very, very well. Of course, I remember them very well because my name is Platt and they would make fun of me for this year. Uh, the association of the name. So. But yeah, those guys were cool. They were really nice guys too. Um, again, you know, they come in there, do their thing and and, and that's that. You know, we, we just, we just, I remember knocking it out, having fun, good times. Um, I remember uh, one session, but I'll go back to the some I'll go back to the parts. Okay, so so here I come into the sessions. <laughs> and uh you know first of all they got this the spread man the spread is awesome. The spread is awesome. You know everything every alcohol every roast beef chicken everything everything and they had through, every, through Casablanca uh I guess so yeah and then uh There was a night where they had some girls show up and in a G-string only and kind of rub themselves around the glass, you know. It, it was crazy. I really thought to myself, man, I have made it. And um, and then the next thing, um, you know, I was in, uh, I was uh, I was able to, to do some mixing with these bands out in LA, right? so that was fun. Um, the thing that you know what the thing that made the difference though i think in all these records too was not only the talent tremendous talent uh and 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 all that but um you know this this studio was between three highways okay and it, it felt really urban you know it felt like when you went in there it's like oh, this is a weird place and you take this funky elevator up to the third floor and then you go and it's like wow there's a studio here what the hell is this doing here you know and uh and so i uh i enjoyed that so you go up there but there was a console there there was a spear console and you know 
I think like there was some recording going up at Par Paradigm or something like that uh, in, in, in Detroit. And I think one of the reasons that they got a good sound was because they had an older Neve. And we had this uh, sphere console that was pretty pro proliferate in the Midwest, but not so much, you know, in the East Coast. This console, it had a sound and it had a punch. And it, it's difficult to explain that, but so many consoles um, didn't. And, and I can give you the reason why, it's simple. Um, it has to go back, it all goes back to the power supply at the end of the day, okay? So they measure one channel, and wow, look how fantastic it looks. Uh, but then when you get uh, 32 inputs going on it or something, well, that becomes a problem because the power supply is being pulled down and pulled down and pulled down by each of the channels that you have running and operating. You're getting stressed out. So what happens is the power supply drops and then what's, what's left is the problem of headroom and your headroom begins to drop. That means that it's gonna be distorted. So it starts to distort. Okay, well, there's a couple ways this, you can have this kind of distortion that's, there's good distortion, there's bad distortion, but, uh, but you don't want distortion coming out of a console if you don't have to. And so the Neves had big power supplies and the Sphere consoles had big power supplies. So you could mix on these consoles or you could cut on these consoles and they would stay true to the sound uh, because there are some of those consoles out there where you would start to mix and by the time you put everything in, it sounded different the punch was gone. So I think that that was part of it. Um, that the, the console, the technology was not super sophisticated. It was very discreet. Every, that console was a discreet console. So it didn't have any chips and didn't have any chips or anything. Yeah, well, you mentioned a lot of things that uh, are characteristics that all feed into the final result, right? And a lot of things or that way only one point in time, they can't be completely replicated again. You know, it's true. <laughs> I hate to try it. It is true, my friend. It is true. There was a whole, you know, it's the whole thing. It's like, you got a tape machine in front of DBX, you got this console that's, you know, got an electronic thing in it that changes every console, any analog console changes when you get a lot of inputs into it running. And, it, it's something that you don't hear now because in digital land, I've got a digital console. There's no stress on anything. It's, it stays the same, no matter how many inputs you put on it. Let me ask you, Gary, did, did you work with Sugarfoot at all? Yeah, sure. She, he, he, what, is, what a wonderful, he, I'll tell you, straight up, kind, kind. That's, that's the way I would put it, kind. Nice guy, really sweet. Oof such a great guy and you would never know it from looking at him and from hearing him rah, 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 uh you know but but he he was funny man he uh he he was he had a lot of dry humor and uh he'd say stuff that was funny all the time but you'd have to be listening because his humor was so dry i was laughing my ass off and i got along with him really well uh and and he was a good guitar player too man yeah, he was really good. I was I was really digging that. I didn't think of him as much of a guitar player until I worked with him. And then I thought, wow, this guy's really good. Yeah. It's pretty wild. 
another great guitar player, of course, is Roger. And uh, Roger would, you know, I, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of Roger credits. Um, my friend Robin Jenny does. Uh, he worked with Roger and Zap a lot more than I did. And I did uh, a bunch of, I did a bunch of recording. I don't know what it was necessarily for at this point. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I didn't get credited, which is mm, typical, not, you know, there's kind of a scene there. So anyway, uh, I remember Roger, though, what he would do was he would take his guitar and he would put it on the, we're recording on this, this is, you know, this is a keeper track, right? He'd put his guitar up there and he'd just playing along. He'd be like doing all this stuff. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, man, this guy's unbelievable. Um, and, and of course, you know, he did the talk box with the Moog and, and he also did it with his guitar, but he did it with the Moog too. But the, um, he, he, he was something else, man. I'm, I'm just kind of having, I'm going back in my mind now and I'm kind of reliving a minute with him. And um, he was kind of, uh, what was it called? Uh, he, was, he was a powerful person. His personality was powerful. Roger's personality was powerful. Charismatic. Yeah, charismatic but powerful. You know, and he would—he uh, had no problem telling you something if he wanted to tell you, which is fine. Uh, but and and he he was uh, he was something, man. He played his guitar. This is unbelievable. There's a story I wish I could tell, but I can't. Oh. all right um so when and why did that studio stop recording oh burn down oh. yeah um yeah you know it was interesting because midnight star and those guys had a studio above they put in something up on the sixth floor and and um there's there were other artists in there i mean there were a little bit like painters and you know, things like that. So it was, it was a really nice artsy building. Uh, my sense of it is that uh, uh, it, it was arson. That's just my sense. Uh, it started on the top of the building on the roof. That's what I heard. So I don't know how you start something on the top of the roof. Meteorite. <laughs> Meteorite, yeah something lightning strike yeah i mean i shouldn't say it's arson i would have no idea officially and i and i'm not somebody who's like knows necessarily you know i don't know that but um yeah it was unfortunate because uh the studio you know that building burnt down the studio burnt down a lot of stuff were there any tapes in there that got lost yeah, there were tapes but you know the smart guys would take their tapes with them at the end of the record you know so if there was anything going on at the time, now by then I had moved and and I wasn't in Cincinnati. So when it did burn down, I I I, I wasn't there. Okay, man. No. Uh <laughs> off the hook. What what year what year did it happen? About I can't remember that. I could look it up. Eighties, but eighties or nineties or I I must have been somewhere in the eighties. Yeah, Rich Goldman. Do you ever do you ever talk to him? No. Oh yeah, you got to talk to him. He was a studio owner. Rich is quite a uh, 
funny guy. And, and he has a, uh, he has a business that has been very successful. He's in Los Angeles. And he, and it's um, a music business where they, uh, they place music for uh, a lot of movie trailers and movies. He's doing well. Anyway, uh, he's an interesting character. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, I like him. He's, I, uh, he has he has a sort of a, a style. So you you moved uh, to the West Coast uh, before you started doing some of these other things like Bon Jovi. I have you you worked with Bon Jovi and, and yeah. Spyro Gyra and those people. Well, Spyro Gyra was up in Cincinnati, but um, yeah, the, I, I'm. Uh, you remember this this guy John Phelps I was talking about where we full sail and then turned into had originally been up in uh, Chicago and moved to Florida and that was a very smart move um, and so uh, at that point and oh yeah now I remember <laughs> I was getting married and so I I thought you yeah, know we should I should do I should go back teaching or something so I wound up. Um, going to Florida and rejoining uh, the company, which was called Full Sail. That's Full Sail University now. And I was there. Uh, I was with the company probably 20 years. Um, and a, <laughs> I'm going to write this down uh, on, a, uh, on a website. Uh, it, well, I've written it all down. I just have to publish it, basically. Uh, there's a long story that I'm not going to get into. But, um, yeah, after being with them for 20 years, uh, I was fired uh, on Christmas Eve. <laughs> That's good timing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then I was, uh, well, they wanted, they, I, I, apparently they wanted stock. I had stock uh, in a company, so they, they wanted and that turned into about $32 million, which I didn't get, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. But uh, anyway, yeah, they, 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 uh, they sold for $400 million, and I had 8%. And that went back from, you know, from the beginning. So anyway, I wound up uh, meeting uh, someone who was of Dutch origin uh, about a week later. Between Christmas and New Year, uh, he asked me if I wanted to meet him in Santa Barbara. So we went to Santa Barbara, and uh, we met him there. His name is Eckhart Winson, mm -hmm. and Eckhart Winson uh, is a Dutch was, was no, he's deceased unfortunately, but he was a Dutch billionaire. And so we got to talking, and um, there's a long, bit of a long story which I'm not going to go into. And then we had. Uh, a, a really great time together. We hit it off and decided we would start our own school. So he was the backer and I was the person. So we started a school here in the East Bay called Expression College for Digital Arts. And um, he was the backing and I was the person who put it together and created the stuff and all that. Now during this time, uh, during the time at, uh, well, at full sale, let's say. Um, that's when I did the Bon Jovi recordings. Mm. And Rick Wakeman as well? Ah, Rick Wakeman as well. God, he was great. He is a wild man, man. <laughs> There's nobody wilder than Rick Wakeman. 
Okay. <laughs> he is a mad genius guy. You know, he was really fun. That was real fun because he did things nobody would do. <laughs> I mean, musically speaking, you know, he was very adventurous, like that guy. Hmm. Yeah. How was it different for you working uh, with those rap artists <laughs> compared to the funk or the rock? Oh. Hmm. I mean, no bands, right? You know, um, I kind of like don't. Okay, let me put it this way. <laughs> that was a long pause. Um, when I, uh, okay, the first real rap experience I had was with Shaq. And I told Shaq that. And um, so that for me, his first record was a real learning experience for me. And what we know now was at that time new, new to me, which was that the console was in mono. Uh, there's no reverb. And basically we would mix in mono. And that... Um, a track would be brought in or made, a simple track would be made, and the lyrics would be invented uh, in the studio live and then uh, recorded, and then we would mix it, and that'd be that. Um, the process was very different, very basic. Um, and with the rap stuff, that's still the way it is. Uh, most of the time, they'll come in with a two track and add uh, vocals or maybe an instrument over that. But it's not my favorite because unfortunately so many times rappers uh, need to take into account that there's things in the music that are clashing with them. And they don't really see that maybe a lot of times until it's pointed out and then you can't fix it because <laughs> yeah. it's in, Two drags, right? I can't take it out. So, so that's a little strange. Um, but with uh, you know, with R and B, it's constantly evolving. I mean, you have a vocal. We have a track. You make this track, right? And then you have this vocal that you put with it, and then the track evolves around that vocal again. Much more sophisticated, and so much more musical. Um, but that's not, I'm not dissing rap because rap is a much more uh, sort of urban tribal thing. You know, it's, it's, it's becoming more and more musical, but it kind of started out, in my mind anyway, as wanting to make a statement. And that was the most important thing, not necessarily a melody or anything about the statement so that you understand what I'm talking about. That's why. Yeah. More who, direct. Who, who are your, uh, who would you say are your top three or five all time favorite? Uh, you mentioned Chicago all time favorite musicians or bands. Well, I've always liked Chicago and I was very fortunate, as I say, to, to work with uh, Bill Champlin who is another one of these, you know, elite musicians, really. Uh, he, he's amazing um, and funny. 
you know, he's funny in the studio. He he has more jokes. <laughs> he comes with more jokes than anybody I've ever met. And they were always funny. Of course, he always got these because he was in the studio with all these other people in L.A. Right? So he came up to, uh, up here and it was fresh material. <laughs> so I was a good audience, you know. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he, he was great. Um, my favorite is probably of all time is Adrian Blue. Um, he's going to be on tour with uh, Todd Rundgren. <laughs> And they're doing a Bowie tribute because Adrian played so much with David Bowie. And uh, so, you know, he's he's familiar with every one of Bowie's songs and everything. And Adrian actually had David Bowie play on one of his songs uh, called Pretty Pink Rose. That was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, Adrian Blue, he's, he's my brother. <laughs> he is. Who would be third? Mm, they all start falling into a a layer. <laughs> you know, just a couple of just pop away. What what do you think are the uh one or two projects that you're most proud of um, in the recording industry? Uh, well, honest to God, the um the first Adrian Blue record, I don't know if you've ever heard it. Um I haven't. Is that uh, the Twang Barking? No, that's the second record. Okay, Long Rhino. Lone Rhino. Long Rhino. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that record is fantastic, I think. Um, it has a lot of uh, creativity, and, and uh, when you really listen to it, you really hear uh, the kind of uh, great arranging that Adrian had done on it, and uh, we recorded that at Compass Point in the Bahamas. And it was kind of funny because we went in there for, um, I guess it was about a month or two we were supposed to be there. So we, we get down there for the two, first two weeks later. It's like, well, we're just going to play. <laughs> okay. And so they were trying to like improvise, you know, this music and it was a disaster. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it, it didn't work. And, uh, so it was kind of funny because one night, uh, you know, we all kind of got blasted and were drunk and um, out there on the beer, you know, by the uh, the house on the beach. And um, next day, Adrian came in and said, all right, let's get started. And we came in and we just, we did the songs that we came to do. I think he just wanted to find out if anything else could happen. You know, he was kind of in, you know, he's kind of in the era of, you know, you know, you know, and, 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 and um, you know, the experimental stuff, uh, you know, with Laurie Anderson. And he's very friendly. Talking, talking Heads, David Burns. Loves, yeah, he really likes Laurie Anderson, Talking Heads and all that stuff. So, so that's kind of the era. So you have to you know, think about that. One of the things he wanted to do, which we couldn't do, and we went specifically to Compass Point 4, was that they said they had automation on their system. Remember, this is 1980 one or something and so automation was relatively new really and so okay great we're going to go there what adrian really wanted to do was he wanted to play a song in a key and then he wanted to play the song again in another key and then he wanted to play the song in another key then what he wanted to do was he wanted to sit there with um group buttons and just lift 
this way and go to that key and then lift them and try to go to that, that key. And he wanted to make this sort of, uh, this, this, this musical piece that had some kind of, um, what's the word I want? Um, It just kind of came from the ethereal, ethereal, not necessarily ethereal, but it was something that would just spontaneously happen, be captured. And that was it. So that was a cool idea. I love that idea, of course, but um, spontaneous we it because we found out they didn't have automation. <laughs> and, they, and they said, uh, no, man, we don't have automation. We, we like to consider it uh, an artistic expression rather than automated and i said well, that's great except we, we want to do something that requires it anyway it was very funny at the time and uh we kind of i think we we tried it, it didn't really work very well so we moved on but you know fun uh, yeah, how, how much how much time did you spend on that project oh that doing that thing was about a day you know maybe oh. a day and, and then we found out we didn't have automation and that, that became a problem and, but once we started going, it was very smooth, real smooth. After that, we just uh, we just had a, a real, real interesting time getting getting acclimated and, and all that. And during the time I was there, they had this migration of snails. <laughs> it was weird, man. And those snails were coming across, and they're thick. I mean, they're just thick. You cannot step on them. You know, they're just everywhere, and they're on the road, on everywhere you go. <laughs> Well, that's not ideal. Yeah, it's very strange. You know, <laughs> you know, you learn these things as you get around it. I guess. Wow, um, Gary, I'm going to uh, wrap this up pretty much, but I wanted to just uh, throw out there: was there any um, other uh, fifth floor uh, story or artist or recording story that we for- forgot or left out that you want to add? I, I don't know. Um, I don't know, but I, I'll tell you one thing that was very interesting, indelible in my mind, uh, was uh, there was a night when The Who played at the Coliseum. Uh, and the Coliseum was literally down the street. And so we're on the fifth floor and looking down the street and we're recording. And all of a sudden there's millions of sirens and ambulances and all this stuff and this is when the who had uh, the problem with uh not having seats uh assigned just open seating people had to be there there was a crush and 12 people died maybe in that crush uh but uh, that was wild because um here i'm looking down and you just a sea of red lights and uh, then we learned that there had been people crushed to death in the um, in the melee trying to get to their seats. You know, so that that was strange. You know, really strange. But I wouldn't have seen that had I not been in fifth floor. Fifth floor yeah. was definitely a strange, uh, not a strange place. No, it wasn't strange. It was cool. It was just different. It was real. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you get that, but it was real. It wasn't like oh cool you're at this studio it just really wasn't like that it was like okay we're gonna go to the studio and get something done you know uh, it, it was it was great thanks for letting me do my thing hey thanks for doing it you know and uh thanks for all the great work and all those great recordings that now are with us forever cool there you go there you go there. i should do this yeah, I should play. 
have, oh, there's like you know, got gold records and stuff like that up, but they're always unfortunately they're on the up there on the wall <laughs> behind my computer. Anyway, it's kind of fun. was that one a midnight star that I saw? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, midnight star. headlines, maybe headlines, yeah. Yeah, yeah that and uh yeah. they had another record it was called Victory, and I really enjoyed that. Very that cool. But uh, I think I heard, I heard those guys were great live, but I don't think I ever got to see them. Oddly, uh, I never saw them live. Yeah, that weird. I saw them in the studio. <laughs> they were right there, so I would have I would have figured that out. But I, it's funny I didn't ever see them live. So, are you doing oh, anything man. right now that you want to get out there, or should we? Um, not so much. I, uh, I'm, um, I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for. Thanks, Jerry. Easy. And, and hopefully, uh, I looked into the camera enough that it made sense. You're a real <laughs> good guy. So I'd like to get to know you a little more, and I'll, I'll be checking out more and more of your uh, your shows. Wow, I I just can't get over how cool you are for doing that. Thank you very very much. Thank you, Gary. It's been a pleasure. Been great. great with you. Take care. Take care. You too. Okay. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guy to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibing to the rhythm of the one.